Uh, people talk sometimes, don't they, of being on the wrong side of history. I don't know if you've heard that. Maybe somebody has said it to you. If you hold an unpopular view, uh, maybe if you hold to the Bible's teaching on a particular area of ethics that has fallen out of favour in contemporary culture, people sometimes say, you're on the wrong side of history. It's a phrase that's designed to make you feel as if uh, what is so-called secular progressiveness is, is both inevitable and the only way to think about the world and where it's all going. Well, if that's been you, read this psalm and take heart. Take some confidence in the God of the Bible, the God of the gospel. Knowledge and worship of the true living God is being on the right side of history. His song is the song that will be sung everywhere and for all eternity. His story is the story that is being played out. It is the good news of the gospel of grace in the Lord Jesus. And as we look at Psalm 98 together this lunchtime, I want to draw out three roles that Jesus plays in that great story as I see them emerging from the psalm. I think this psalm gives us three reasons to look to the Lord Jesus and to trust in him. Three reasons why we can put our hope in Christ and know that he won't let us down. Here's the first of them. Jesus rescues as saviour. You don't need to look hard to notice that things are not as they should be in the world. Just these past couple of weeks, we've had floods and volcanic eruptions filling news headlines. Uh, Greta Thunberg, the Swedish teenager who's been campaigning for action against climate change, she's been such a figurehead for that issue that she's just been named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. It feels as if in our collective consciousness as a culture, we sense that the world is not right somehow. And we know that closer to home too, don't we? We know that for ourselves and for those that we love. We face hurts and heartbreaks in our friendships and our families. Sickness and suffering takes its toll on us. And it's hard this will seem to many of you a very trivial thing to say, but in a few days' time, I turn 30. I've never been particularly bothered about birthdays in general, never really worried about milestone birthdays either. But I have to say, I've not been at all encouraged as I've approached this one. The number of concerned faces that I've seen as people have said to me, it's all downhill from here. The number of wistful men who have looked at their stomachs and said it will appear overnight. They've warned me about it. One friend said to me the other day, come to think of it, you have filled out a bit recently. A former friend, I should say, on that front. Look, my, my, my point is, God's good creation is not at perfect peace with itself. We do live in a world of sickness and of suffering it's a world of decline and of decay. And as we take in life as we know it, we long, don't we, that what is wrong will be put right. And of course that is also true if we look inside ourselves. 
not just on the outside. We see things that aren't as they should be inside too. We turn away from God in rebellion against him. We trust in ourselves and in our own ways instead of what the Lord says is good and right for us. Jesus put it this way in Mark chapter 7. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. G.K. Chesterton famously said of original sin, it is the only part of Christian theology which can really be proved The evidence of it is all around us. So both outside and within, we're left looking for answers for the problems that we see. We need help if we're to have any hope. We need rescue. That's what the first stanza of this psalm addresses. It speaks of a saviour who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves Look at how it begins there. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand, his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Now people speculate about the original context of Psalm 98. Perhaps it was sung about the return of the Old Testament people of God from exile in Babylon. As they came back to Jerusalem and the surrounding area, they celebrated the victory that God had won for them. It is striking, though, that whatever is referred back to is still something looked forward to here, where all of that hope of salvation has some future full and final resolution. It's been interesting as we've been approaching Christmas thinking about this psalm. It is striking how much of the language of this psalm is echoed in Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. As Mary responds to the news that she would have a son who would be called Jesus, who would bring salvation Uh, She says this, uh, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. And there are more echoes than just those. This psalm anticipates a Saviour, the one who was God himself, yet was born as one of us at Christmas, who'd grow up to die on a cross to be raised to new life, that we might have life in him. And in the words of verses 1 to 3 here, it is all about him. It's all about his work on our behalf. He's the one who does the saving. He's the one who makes his salvation known. He has love and faithfulness and acts upon it. Jesus rescues as saviour. This psalm anticipates that. Here's a second reason for hope. Jesus reigns as king. 
verses 4 to 6 follow the theme that we were looking at last week, recognizing the Lord for who he is and responding rightly to him in praise and worship. But see how that stanza ends at the end of verse 6. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. And that's more than just a metaphor. It's a job title. It's the role that God's promised Messiah would take up, ascending to the throne over all the earth and reigning as king over it. We know from the nativity story where Jesus was born that the star was over Bethlehem, wasn't it? And the stable was there and the shepherds came from the fields nearby to go and see him there. And at his death on the cross, we know that he was just outside Jerusalem at Calvary. But I wonder how often you think about where Jesus is now. Physically, that same body that was born as a baby at Christmas, that raised from the dead at Easter, how do you think of where he is today? Because the answer is that he's in heaven, reigning as king. And that is great news for us, not least when things are hard and when we feel hopeless. We can look to him as king. We can remember that whatever struggles we're facing, whatever the uncertainty around us, he knows about it. He's not blind to our concerns. He's not indifferent to the challenges of life. But more than just sympathizing with us, he stands in authority over it all. It's a source of great comfort. It's an important truth for us today is there's a general election taking place. Because regardless of which party you might be supporting in the ballot box today, uh, I don't think it's too controversial of me to say that politics at the moment feels particularly tense. It's a febrile atmosphere, and many people are feeling unsettled by it all. The message of this psalm is a great call for us to have faith in the Lord, No party or ideology can truly save us, not fully, not finally, not forever. No leader can rule with absolute authority and absolute goodness, not in the way that this king here can. When we doubt some of the promises that have been made to us in the election campaign, when we fear for the future that we might have before us, it's the great word of reassurance that God's king is on his throne that gives us comfort in a changing world. But this truth is a challenge to us as well. If God's king is on God's throne, it does mean that he's in authority over all things. Jesus isn't in a power-sharing deal over the nations. He doesn't want a coalition government with the idols of our hearts. This hymn of praise we have in front of us is an exclusive one. It's to him alone we are to give all the glory. And so it poses a question for us, which we must face up to. Will we have this Jesus as our king? Will we let him reign and rule in us? Isaac Watts, reflecting on this psalm, wrote those familiar words, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And perhaps for us this Christmas, it's a time to ask if we have prepared our hearts, made room to receive Christ as king in them.
well as ever, times getting away from me. I've got to accelerate towards the finish. Uh, we've seen Jesus rescues as a savior. Jesus reigns as king. Finally, Jesus returns as judge. The political campaigns, they've seen various promises made, haven't they? Uh, maybe some of us are slightly skeptical about how many of them could be delivered. The skeptics among us might see that same thing as we read a psalm like this. We might hear these words and wonder if Christ and his rule will live up to all of its promises. They're big promises of salvation, big claims to be king. Will he deliver? Well, we've acknowledged the brokenness of the world, the mess that we're in. Uh, The question really is whether we can have hope in the face of such things. And that's why it is a point of praise in this psalm and elsewhere in the Bible that God's king is coming to judge the world. Verse 9, let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is one of the great hopes of the Christian gospel. The Christian faith is rooted in the belief that something is fundamentally wrong with the world, that there is injustice, that things aren't right. It isn't a naive faith. It faces up to the fact that evil abounds. And it is shaped by and defined by the belief that God's solution to that problem is to step into the brokenness and to sort it out, to put it right himself. I used to go on the bus every day up Ludgate Hill in the city. Uh, And there you've got the Old Bailey, the central criminal court. And perched on the top there is a statue representing justice. Justice holds scales in one hand to weigh what is fair and right. She holds a sword in the other hand to bring punishment against those who do wrong. And it tells us something, not perfectly, but a little picture of what justice looks like. Here in this psalm, we have a picture of true justice, of the Lord Jesus coming to judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity, to be fair and right, to sort out what is wrong. Jesus' return in judgment, well, it helps us when we realize that we're victims of evil in the world. But it also serves as a warning where we recognize that we're also rebels in the world, guilty of doing wrong ourselves. God is not blind to the injustice in our own hearts either. He's not aloof from, indifferent to the ways in which we disobey him. Just think again of those things that Jesus said come from within us. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. Our sin is serious. And we do face judgment for it. It must be dealt with. And that is why the most important thing about this psalm, and one of the most important things about the Christian gospel, is that the same one who is king in authority over us and is judged in dealing rightly with evil, is also the one who comes to bring salvation. Again, as it goes in the song, he comes to make his blessings flow wherever guilt is found. He knows that we can't do it ourselves. 
and yet he acts and works to do it for us. And that's why this psalm is one of joy. It's a song about the promise of God to do what only God can do, to come as saviour, to rescue his people, to reign as king, to bring order from the chaos, to return as judge, to put right all that is wrong with the world. It's a song that gives us hope. And some of you might know, my colleague Rico Tice has been doing some work on hope. We're planning to publish some new resources next year. Here's a definition of hope that we have been working with. A hope is a joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past that changes everything about my present. And it strikes me that that is what Psalm 98 offers. Do you notice that each of those three stanzas are in a different tense? The first one invites us to look back at God's work in salvation as he rescues us from our sin and our suffering. The second one speaks of the present of the difference it makes to know that there is a king on the throne who we can trust in. And then it ends with a joyful expectation for the future. Evil dealt with forever, all that is wrong made right to the praise and glory of our saviour, king and judge. So as we look forward to Christmas in these next couple of weeks, let's look back to celebrate the Christ of the cradle and the cross Submit to the Christ who takes up the throne in our hearts. And let's look forward, let's long, long for the Christ who will judge the world in righteousness, make good forever all that is bad. And to that end, let me pray for us now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Lord is come and that it is good news. We pray that you would help us to prepare room for him in this season and in the weeks and months ahead. And Father, we ask that your name would be known ever more widely, not only in us and in our lives, but to those around us. For the sake of your son and his name that is worthy of praise above all others. We ask it in that name. Amen.